is a little bit more skimming. So I was wondering if you could maybe just talk a little bit about that. What, why has it become more popular? And you know, when, um, you know, what ignited this sort of skimming boom per se? No, very, very good observation. Uh, skimming has definitely become more popular. Um, I'll get very geeky for a moment if I will. So the first like skimming boom was around the 1970s and that was basically like a lighter skimming. Um, I think what you're seeing nowadays, like post kind of 2002, uh, when I graduated as well, is like that heavier skimming, where you've got a very thick and rich and potent broth. That's usually two types of soups. One is maybe, um, let's say, creamy rich from pork bones or chicken bones, and the other is fish-based, usually uh, dried sardines, uh, things like that. So it's quite complex and thick, thick noodles. Um, that style has become very popular post 2002. That's been the craze, and I think. It's just a different experience from ramen. I think people like it because of that strong flavor and it's not gonna work as a ramen because the broth is way too strong by itself. But when you're dipping in those noodles, you get mm. to, um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't taste as strong. The broth only clings a little bit to the outside of the noodles, let's say. So that, that may be the fact that it's like a different ramen experience. And on top of that, I think for people that really like noodles, like the noodles are definitely a highlight because they're normally sort of cold, right? So cold, uh, that locks in the flavor, also uh, helps them maintain their texture because they're not cooking in that uh, hot broth. So mm -hmm. people that like noodles and want to get really, um, I wouldn't say want to get full, but want like a filling meal. Normally, skemin comes with about 200 grams of noodles, whereas ramen is like 120, 150 grams around there. So people like it for those reasons, I think, because it's hearty, filling, and it's a little bit of a different experience. Uh, welcome to episode 47 of Tokyo Alumni Podcast. Today, our guest is the owner at Phenom Inc., operating the brands Tokyo Ramen Tours and 5AM Ramen. Essentially, he has one of the best jobs in the world. He eats ramen for a living. After attending St. Mary's and graduating in 2002, he attended McAllister College in Minnesota, where he majored in sociology and minored in law. Um, upon graduating, he landed his first job in Tokyo, where he worked as a Nikkei stockbroker. After finance, he found himself in tech, chiefly in sales and business development roles. From this point onward, he would continue to work in sales, including at the online booking website, Agoda. In January of 2018, he started offering ramen tours to inbound tourists, immersing himself in the world of ramen full time. Welcome to the podcast, Frank. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So today, um, lots of ramen talk, ramen, ramen, uh, ramen, but we're speaking a bit uh, prior to going on air. Uh, we'll also delve a little bit into things like, um, you know, how you maintain basically a healthy lifestyle despite eating um, the rather calorific ramen um, on a regular basis. We'll also delve a bit into the economics of ramen. Just um, if I, and I didn't actually ask you this question, but if you want to, I, I don't mean to be insulting to the ramen connoisseur, but if you wanted to go into the topic of sort of the instant ramen, um, <laughs> you know, I think that could be an interesting topic as well. No, absolutely. So, um, instant ramen is a whole other world. Happy to include that. Awesome. Well, um, let's start off with, you know, I'm sure this is the, the major question you get, as well as actually a lot of just people connected to Tokyo. You've been to over a thousand ramen restaurants, and I'm sure people ask you all the time, you know, 
Dr. Raman Frank, like, <laughs> what, where do I go to, right? If I'm visiting Tokyo, I, I, I can only go to one or two restaurants um, where to go to. And I think this is really helpful for any listeners to, who have friends who visit. Because I get this question all the time. And I just say, I don't know. Because I've only been to like 20. So, yeah, how do you answer that question? I also say I don't know. Um, no, <laughs> I think uh, I think you know it's it's a tough question because um, you know ramen is so diverse, right? Um, I think what makes ramen really unique is that uh, unlike maybe other Japanese food, it's not so rigid. Like there's new ramen styles coming out all the time. Uh, ramen has really come a long way from its you know let's say early start, its humble beginning. So. Um, if you were to ask me, you know, maybe what's my top five uh, soy sauce or shoyu ramen in northern Tokyo, you know, maybe I could give a more specific answer. But I think if we were to narrow it down to one or two bowls, it's tough. But maybe for visitors that are here, I think, you know, if you're in Tokyo, uh, a soy sauce, let's say powered bowl would probably be the way to go. And if you have a chance, maybe starting with the, uh, the roots of ramen. <clears throat> Uh, for example, there's uh, in Ogikubo, a great ramen restaurant called Harukiya. Harukiya. And they do like a classic Tokyo-style ramen, but they've also updated the recipe multiple, multiple times. We're talking uh, probably over 100 times since they've been around uh, the late uh, 40s. So think of it as like a classic soy sauce uh, Tokyo-style ramen, but with, uh, let's say, modern touches. So I think that would be a great place maybe to have the best of both worlds. Another place is uh, Eif Kucho uh, Taishoken, similar uh, lineage actually to that place and uh, similar in that they also have updated the recipe. Interesting. And you said soy sauce base, right? Not going with a pork base. Is that something you've noticed with people who come to Tokyo that that is maybe sort of an easier introduction to ramen? No, that, that's a great question. And I think, you know, what's available outside of Japan is, you know, from what I've seen, like mostly pork bone ramen or tonkotsu ramen. I think, um, you know, for good reason. It tastes great, right? It's uh, a little bit uh, rich and creamy. I think, um, you know, it's easy uh, to understand. Like it's, uh, you know, packed with flavor. Whereas, um, you know, here in Tokyo, uh, you, of course, have uh, tonkotsu ramen, but that whole ramen style comes from Kyushu. So here you're going to be, I think, leading more towards uh, soy sauce ramen. Now, mind you, there might be still pork bones in the broth. Uh, you know, if they boil them for a long time, just like tonkotsu ramen, you're going to get a richer soy sauce uh, ramen. So pork bone ramen is interesting because it's the only, uh, not the only, but one of the ramen categories where it's categorized by the uh, soup, not the seasoning. So technically, you could have a pork bone ramen with soy sauce. And uh, I think soy sauce ramen, I, I do think it's... Um, a good ramen to have just because there's so many varieties of soy sauce ramen across the country. We're talking about like a style in Tokyo. There's a different style in Kyoto. There's a style in Toyama, uh, up in Hokkaido and Asahikawa, et cetera, et cetera. Interesting. And, you know, speaking of styles of ramen and you talked about reinventing the you know, type of ramen, I've, so I've been out of the country for about 10 years now. And I've noticed every time I return, there's a little bit more skimming. So I was wondering if you could maybe just talk a little bit about that. What, it, why has it become more popular? And, you know, when, um, you know, what ignited this sort of skimming boom, per se? No, very, very good observation. Uh, skimming has definitely become more popular. Um, I'll get very geeky for a moment, if I will. So the first, like, skimming boom was around the 1970s, and that was basically like a lighter skimming. Um, I think what you're seeing nowadays, like post kind of 2002, uh, when I graduated as well, is like that heavier skimming where you've got a very thick and rich and potent broth 
that's usually two types of soups. One is maybe, um, let's say, creamy rich from pork bones or chicken bones, and the other is fish-based, usually uh, dried sardines, uh, things like that. So it's quite complex and thick, thick noodles. Um, that style has become very popular post-2002. That's been the craze. And I think it's just a different experience from ramen. I think people like it because of that strong flavor and it's not going to work as a ramen because the broth is way too strong by itself. But when you're dipping in those noodles, you get mm. to, um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't taste as strong. The broth only clings a little bit to the outside of the noodles, let's say. So that, that may be the fact that it's like a different ramen experience. And on top of that, I think for people that really like noodles, like the noodles are definitely a highlight because they're normally sort of cold, right? So cold, uh, that locks in the flavor, also uh, helps them maintain their texture because they're not cooking in that uh, hot broth. So mm -hmm. people that like noodles and want to get really, um, I wouldn't say want to get full, but want like a filling meal. Normally, mm -hmm. skemmen comes with about 200 grams of noodles, whereas ramen is like 120, 150 grams around there. So people like it for those reasons, I think, because it's hearty, filling, and it's a little bit of a different experience. That's, and, and for the, the ramen store, and I, I think we'll touch upon the economics a bit later, um, when it comes to the men, um, growing up, and, and this is a point I would like actually, uh, I would like to know about your sort of childhood when it comes to ramen, is in my childhood, I always remember the 100 yen uh, kaidama, right? Kaidama is where you get the, the extra noodles. And I always found that even like as a little kid thinking, it's a good deal. You know, it's like I'm getting a whole new ramen. So um, I guess first, um, yeah, if, if you can just touch upon that uh, idea of um, the profitability or the lack of, of this idea of, you know, men, because I know you can just ask for usually more men. And right, then right. secondly, growing up, did you have a ramen place that was like, a place that ignited your passion for ramen? Um, yeah, great, great questions. Um, I think the kaidama um, aspect of ramen is really interesting. You have it often with a lot of uh, pork bone ramen, right? Uh, tonkotsu ramen. However, you do see with some ramen shops that don't maybe do pork bone ramen that they might offer kaidama. Mm -hmm. But I think in terms of like uh, the cost, yeah, it's 100 yen, right? Super cheap um, with pork bone ramen too, right? You get to uh, customize the firmness of the noodles, which is always fun if you want it firm, soft, et cetera. But um, noodles are actually one of the cheapest ingredients. Um, so I think from the ramen shop's perspective, not, you know, on 100 yen, your margin's not going to be, of course, amazing. Um, but it doesn't um, cost that much for them to uh, bring the noodles out. So if you think of it like that, I think, you know, if you're a ramen shop and you're selling, I don't know, 100 bowls, and let's say half of the people, you know, maybe order kaidama. I think just in terms of volume, it's, a, it's, it's pretty good for the ramen shop. Of course, you've got to go in, boil the noodles, but these are thin noodles too, right? So mm. it only takes about 10 or 15 seconds for them to boil. Now, if you've got thick noodles, let's say it's two or three minutes, you're taking away from time you could be spending doing other things, right? Maybe that's preparing mm. the soup, uh, dealing with customers. So it's, in a way, it's quite practical maybe for them to do that with thin noodles. It doesn't take much time away from uh, everything mm. else. And uh, so going back to the childhood question, I, I had one that, you know, I remember as tonkotsu, it was in uh, Shinkogane near SIJ. Mm -hmm. Probably went a hundred times with my father. Did you have a place like that growing up, like your family's ramen place? Right, right. No, that's, um, I forgot, excuse me, the uh, second part of your question there. So thanks for the reminder. Um, I think, you know, there were a few places in uh, Kaminoge also, like uh, similar to you, Nick, I think uh, near St. Mary's. 
that、mm. there was a place on Kampachidori、um, that I went to, and it's funny I don't remember the name. We always talked about it as the green place.、Um, <laughs> I, I tease them. I tease another graduate. Um, because I don't think it was like the most amazing like ramen. It was pretty standard, right?、Uh, maybe the place you went to was better, but I think there was just this、uh, you know sense of nostalgia. It was a place where we could go, go. We could have gyoza. We could have ramen. It was just like kind of a hangout, I think, for us. So that was、um, that was quite、uh, memorable, I think. And、uh, yeah, that that place stands out、uh, a lot. I don't think they're around anymore, unfortunately. It's unfortunate here. I know it's funny that you said、uh, you don't remember because I'm in the exact same situation. I, I cannot recall the name of the place whatsoever. And I actually went by maybe three, four years ago. Yeah, and it wasn't there. That's、so、not there anymore. Almost like something from a dream, right? I just I, I can remember the place. I can smell it, but、uh, yeah, I don't even know the name.、Um, so when it comes to、um, ramen, you come from a super diverse background professionally, right? You were a broker. You worked a bit in tech. At what point in your life did you feel like I can make a living off ramen? When did you see that opportunity? Right, right.、Um, no, great question. I think、uh, I imagine like yourself too. I love food. I,、um, you know, ramen is、uh, of course one food that I love, perhaps more than some others. But I never thought like, you know, how can you make a living,、uh, you know, talking about ramen, anything、uh, ramen related, unless you're opening up a restaurant,、uh, something like that. But I think the ramen tours were when I really pivoted into ramen full time.、Uh, Tokyo ramen tours. I saw maybe an opportunity because there was a lot of inbound、uh, tourism coming to Japan. Like you know, we're talking two hundred percent plus growth、uh, since two thousand eleven. Of course, before、uh, the pandemic. Now <laughs> you know the hospitality industry and travel industry has really hit hard. Of course, but before that, I was like, wow, there are a lot of people coming to Japan. What do they want to do when they come to Japan?、Uh, food is definitely at the top of the list, alongside、mm-hmm. temples, everything else. So ramen just seemed to make sense. Whereas, and this was、um, a few years ago. Whereas before that, maybe ramen tours would not have made sense. But I think the timing was right. A lot of people were coming to Japan, and、uh, you know they're willing to、uh, maybe pay for、uh, an additional food experience. In this case,、uh, ramen tours. So that was what、uh, made me think about the shift. And、uh, doing ramen full time, and then I still operate、uh, the ramen blog and other things as well. Interesting. And、um, when you were so working in tech, you were working as a broker. How often back then were you eating ramen? Not not as much as now, but uh, definitely, uh, I'd say. Maybe a couple times a week,、um, and when I say couple, maybe like two or three at the most. At the least, I'd say once. So maybe one to four times, tops. Okay, so it's not. I'm trying to figure out if that's a lot, but it's hard to say, right? Because people in Japan do do like their ramen, so <laughs> they do. I mean, right now I eat like、uh, you know about 350 bowls a year, practically every day. I'll normally do、uh, several bowls in one day, maybe take a break the next day. But there are people that do 800, 900 bowls, right? So 350 <laughs> seems like a lot. There are Japanese、yeah. people that are even more、uh, hardcore about it, so it's all relative, absolutely. Well, who are these people that are eating 800, 900? I think some of these people, like they might even have like ramen jobs. Maybe they're you know ramen media related, or they're just ramen obsessed.、Uh, you know, I think salary men or what what have you that just you know need to eat two bowls of ramen、uh, every day. Like and you know adding it up, they're eating six hundred plus maybe a year. Wow! And、um, up there, we talked a bit about 
in high school, you are an avid wrestler, right? You wrestle for St. Mary's International School. And uh, in wrestling, there's a lot of weight cutting. And you're mentioning how, you know, ramen was something of a definite no-no uh, for someone in wrestling. And now kind of ironically, you're in a position now where you're eating a lot of ramen. Um, and my question to you was, you know, how do you maintain a healthy lifestyle um, despite eating, as you said, basically a ramen a day, uh, which is quite a bit. No, it's, um, it's such a stark contrast, I think, from, uh, you know, doing um, a re wrestling where you do have to uh, lose weight, uh, you know, carbs, of course, put on the pounds, put on the kilos. Um, I think now, like, ironically, like when I was, um, you know, if we go back to maybe when I was a broker, I think, um, you know, when you have a desk job and you're not getting out that much, or when you do get out, at least back then before the uh, whole Lehman situation, I was going out, I was drinking a lot. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, there were a lot of uh, setais. And uh, that was when I was uh, actually my heaviest. And I, w I was eating ramen, of course. So, you know, fast forward to now, I'm actually eating more ramen, but I'm drinking less alcohol. I'm very active. You know, I'll walk to these ramen shops. So, for example, I went to uh, Chiba yesterday, and one of the ramen shops was a 20, 25 minute walk from the station. I have no problem. Like, you know what? I'm just going to walk. And I think, you know, burning those calories. And when I was doing the tours uh, in person too, there was a lot of walking involved. So I think, you know, just burning those calories, um, you know, constantly allows you to maybe to eat a little bit more. And then as you, I think, suggested, maybe just uh, balance is key. On those days where I do have uh, maybe multiple bowls of ramen, yesterday I had three, for example. Today, you know, I'll take a break, maybe uh, eat something more healthy, toss in something with vegetables, et cetera, et cetera. And then, yes, um, you know, working out. Don't do wrestling anymore, but I think, uh, you know, trying to work out two or three times a week on top of the walking. Yeah, that's uh, in Japan, I guess th there's so much possibility in regards to being able to, to walk around. And, you know, you were mentioning how uh, you're a numbers guy, or at least I'm making that deduction based on your background of being a broker, being, you know, um, from that background. The economics of ramen. So I did a little bit of research. When I say that, I just mean like 10 minutes of Googling, but I did some research. Hey, that's, that's still research. <laughs> Good on you. And, and some things came up that I've actually, I've heard of before and it kind of came back. And I, I was wondering to, if I could get your take on this. Is, uh, the first thing I want to talk about is there's this talk about Seiyan no Kabe, right? The 1,000 yen wall. So um, I was wondering if you could address that as well as sort of the price slash, I guess there's this expectation people have and then the reality, right? Ramen, as my father, he's actually a huge ramen connoisseur. He says it's an art, right? It, it takes so much time to make 15, $20 in places like New York, San Francisco. But why is it like hapyakuen? Like kyakuen, yeah, in Japan. No, that's, um, that's a very good point. Um, you know, it's a whole discussion itself. I think that's in Okabe, like, we're, we're very fortunate, um, you know, maybe that could be extended, I think, to, um, you know, other Asian countries too, right? Food is very affordable and it's delicious. And ramen, I think, really represents that. Whether you want to call it like a BQ, gurume, um, you know, non, let's say, I don't know, fancy food, like ramen uh, really gets the job done in terms of like filling you up and being so filling for a thousand yen, 800 yen, a uh, really good price point. I think, you know, Japan has, um, and I think Japan's like, you know, been in a deflationary spiral kind of, right? And um, mm -hmm. they, 
you know, prices have not gone up, right? I know, um, you know, the government's uh, tried to change that, but we're, we're very lucky that food is very affordable and ramen maybe is like a shining star, I think, within uh, Japanese food. So, you know, even if ramen shops are using like more premium ingredients, um, which they are nowadays, you know, maybe you'll have a ramen shop, right? That's blending five types of soy sauce from around the country, for example. They're using three breeds of uh, chickens, uh, free range chickens. Maybe one's from Aomori. Another one is Nagoya, Kochin. Another one is uh, from Tottori, uh, Daisen. Um, they're using very, very good ingredients, but they're still going to be, you know, kind of limited to setting it anything beyond a thousand yen. You do see them creeping up a little bit more of the prices recently, but let's say a thousand, two hundred, thousand, three hundred tops. And if you set it, you know, even that high or beyond that, you might risk, uh, you know, alienating customers, people are not going to go because as you know, down the street or maybe even the station over, there's excellent ramen for a cheaper price. So it's so competitive and it's kind of like, I don't know, a gentleman's agreement for like a lack of better words. Not, not so much a gentleman's agreement because if you set it too high, people aren't going to come, but it's, it, it's tough for ramen shops. Yeah. Cause they can't set it higher than maybe a thousand uh, yen. Wow. Even though there's so much time spent, as you mentioned, there's a lot of premium ingredients going to ramen now. And that's what I was thinking too, is, you know, you meet these ramen, you know, the people that own the place and, you know, unlike a restaurant where let's say there's an owner that just kind of shows up for a few hours, you know, <laughs> in a fancy suit and then leaves, these guys really get their hands dirty. Like I feel like almost every ramen place I've been to, literally the, you know, landlord is also the guy, you know, cooking the ramen. But at the same time, no matter how successful the establishment is, you don't expect him to get on a BMW you know, and drive home. So from what you've seen with, with the various types of ramen restaurants, um, it, 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 is that sort of the fact? Is this perception I have that you can never really get very wealthy off you know, uh, owning a ramen restaurant? No, the, these are great observations. Uh, you know, I think in the ramen world, it's fun to talk about. I think... You know, the ones that maybe like are driving the BMWs are, you know, ramen, maybe shop owners that have like, you know, become chains, right? Maybe they have five uh, ramen shops around Tokyo, 10, 15. You have big chains like Ippudo, for example, with uh, overseas uh, branches as well. Maybe that's kind of an outlier to see like that much success, you know, being in Europe, North America, not just uh, Asia, let's say. Um, so I think when you get to that level, um, yeah, you, you can do very well, but I would say a lot of ramen shops, you know, will just be the one shop. <clears throat> and, you know, maybe that's a number of different reasons, right? On the one hand, it's like that one ramen shop owner, you mentioned, right? The person that's there, like the, the owner, the head chef, you know, doing everything, right? And they don't get a break because they're practically open every day. Maybe they take Sundays off, something like that. So day in, day out, they're just constantly making soup. You know, it's such a laborious thing. Um, so I think unless they like have the goal of being like, you know what, like I want this to expand to five shops. There's no point in just me working on the soup. I need to pass on this recipe or like, you know, how to make it to other staff, right? So you know what? I can take not just Sunday off. I can take other days off. I can focus on the business side of things and maybe like uh, securing a new location in Tokyo. So I don't think you maybe have, you do, of course. I don't think you have maybe a ton of people that go into it like that. 
And the great thing about that is like, I think it just normally comes from a place of like wanting to make great ramen, right? I believe in my product. I believe in the ramen that I'm making. It's excellent. I just want to uh, feed people my excellent ramen. Whereas, you know, maybe in some other uh, spaces or even other countries, it's kind of like, you know what, like ramen seems to be hot right now. I'm going to, you know, I really want to franchise this and, uh, you know, create this like ramen empire. I don't think in Japan, and I'm not saying the other, uh, they do this in other countries. I don't think in Japan, like people initially have that mindset. It's just about really making good ramen and maybe they see success along the way. Maybe at two shops are like, you know what, I've got to outsource some of these other things. Uh, I shouldn't be the one, you know, just making soup all day. So very, very good question. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> As you're saying with the, with the soup, and I think this connects well to, um, you know, when I asked my friends on Facebook, you know, what, what's a question, you know, they would have for you. Um, one of the most liked questions was um, how to make ramen at home. And um, before I asked that question, I, I just want to touch upon the soup. My initial, I didn't want to be discouraging. But I was also just thinking like, man, just making that soup is going to be like, <laughs> but even knowing that, uh, what would your advice be to someone who says, you know, look, you know, you maybe got little kids and, you know, you want to stay home. Is it possible to replicate that taste at home? No, that's uh, another great question. I think when, you know, when you're in Japan and you've got such a tiny kitchen, I think for most people, it's like, you know what, like, I'm just going to go to a great ramen shop because I cannot replicate this at home without spending, you know, hours upon hours uh, in, the, in that tiny kitchen to replicate this. I think for people outside of Japan, there's a lot of interest now, like, you know what, we don't have a great ramen shop around us. Uh, we're going to make it on our own. And regardless of whether you're in Japan or another country, there's definitely a lot you can do. You don't have to make everything from scratch. Uh, let's say we're talking seasoning, soup, uh, noodles, and toppings. Maybe you can get the supermarket uh, noodles if you have access to that. The toppings, same thing, buy them at the supermarket. Uh, you can focus on the soup or maybe just even the seasoning. I think it's quite overwhelming if you try and tackle everything at once. If you're making those noodles from scratch, if you're making the soup from scratch, uh, you know, let alone just finding maybe a butcher uh, or someone that can give you, you know, kilos and kilos of uh, you know, chicken bones, for example. So it's very daunting, but maybe just breaking it apart into different like parts. You know, there's nothing wrong if you're just making the seasoning at home, you know, take a soy sauce, for example, um, you know, boil that with uh, shiitake mushrooms, maybe some katsuobushi, things like that. That is your seasoning and that can be used for ramen, that can be used for other things. The soup itself, yeah, if you want to dive in, by all means, uh, you know, go for it. It, it, is, um, it is very <laughs> much a, a commitment, but there's so many great, like, you know, and I'm not doing this, there's so many great, like, YouTube channels out there. There's so many great recipe books that, um, you know, I, I think especially with the pandemic, as you maybe uh, touched upon, like, there's so many people now, they're like, you know what, I'm at home, um, mm. am I going to, you, know, you have people uh, baking things, right? You have people making ramen, too. So now more than ever, there's, you know, the way we get information in mm -hmm. video form, like just, you know, step by step, the recipes, um, it's, it's, it, it is doable. It just takes a lot of time. And do you think speaking of recipes, a friend of mine was talking about like, you know, like there's a place that puts like ramune, like the ramune solda in the like thing. Right. Are these sort of secret recipes? Is that mm -hmm. sort of like an urban legend? Or have you heard of whispers of you know, these ramen places? you know, having these secret things that no one knows. Right, right. I think, um, you know, there's, 
there's probably a little bit of that urban legend, you know, what's, um, what makes it so tasty? What's that secret sauce? And, you know, they might hide that recipe, you know, from everyone just so they don't, you know, going back to the example of maybe that like, um, ramen shop, uh, head chef, right? Like, no, only I know the recipe. Mm. Um, you know, it's hard for somebody to scale and expand if you kind of have that attitude. And that's fine. You know, that's what makes that ramen so delicious, but maybe, uh, you know, someone similar would not be willing to share that secret sauce. Maybe it's not a secret sauce and it's just, you know, creating this kind of mysticism around uh, that ramen, right? Um, yeah. Again, if, if you can't replicate it, you don't know what that secret sauce is. So I think part of it is like, yeah, definitely urban legend. Um, but now, like, again, going back to the amount of information we have, like there's so much now uh, you can research. You know, the ramen chefs on YouTube, like here from Japan, just like, you know, with a whole big list of like ramen recipes um you know yeah haven't uh seen uh ram ramen uh all, all the time of course but i think there there might be some secret sauces that nobody want to divulge but just kind of like magicians um you know i think there's some people that are like you know what like i'm fine with um you know giving up that secret sauce like if it means you know financial success or i'm just not like closed off like that um, so I think you have, depending on the ramen chef, uh, they might be willing to divulge that or not. And again, whether it's actually a secret sauce or not, you know, is, is a question or just kind of that, uh, that urban legend. Interesting. And, and, you know, I think you mentioned a really interesting point about these guys who do, uh, Ipudo, um, some people call Ips in the international school community, uh, you know, is one of those ones that fran have franchises of the various franchises franchise rest, uh, ramen restaurants that exist, um, are there any that you would recommend? Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, going back to the, the quality of, I think, Japanese food, the quality of ramen, like it's hard to have a bad uh, bowl of ramen here, I think, as you know, right? It's um, mm -hmm. no matter where you go, even if it's like uh, lower in price, right? You've got chains like Korakuen, you've got um, other places, uh, Ipudo Ichiran. I think they're all great. Um, I don't go to chains uh, that often just because I'm trying to tackle all these places that I haven't gone to, you know, mom and pops or uh, maybe, you know, one person running the whole shop as we talked about. But on the chain side of things, I personally ate at Ichiran a lot. Uh, not recently, but I think like um, my nightcap bowl was often Ichiran and it's, um, and, and a lot of Ipudo too, but I would say more often Ichiran. But now as I've gotten older, less uh, tonkotsu and uh, less of that pork bone, uh, calorific ramen. <laughs> Interesting. As you, as you mentioned, you know, it's hard to find a bad bowl of ramen. And um, I guess actually before I ask the question I was going to ask, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been to a ramen place and you were like, whoa, <laughs> how is this place still running? I had... A bowl of coffee ramen. Um, so we're talking, we're talking like soy sauce, like seasoning and coffee and coffee, like infused uh, noodles. And also, yeah, if you have a chance, like look it up, like just type in coffee ramen Tokyo, like it's going to be a very odd looking bowl. They've got kiwi on top. They've got um, even like coffee beans, like, um, where uh, as if it's kind of like shaped like a face and the coffee beans are there like they're supposed to be eyes. 
And, um, oh my God, what else do they have? They've got like egg there on top as well as um, ham. I'm trying to think. There was some other strange ingredients. Anyways, this was the most unusual and, um, yeah, in, in my opinion, like not the tastiest ramen, but it's, it's such a fun place to go to. So this is way up. I can't remember. Was it in way up in like Adachiku or one of those places? And it's, it's this cute old couple that runs this coffee shop. And they also happen to have coffee ramen. So the ramen was definitely not my cup of coffee. But I think like, again, very cute elderly couple. They wanted to make coffee ramen. But for me, just the soy sauce with the coffee <laughs> was a little bit uh, too much. But again, cannot fault them. <laughs> you know, it's a, it, it's a really fun spot to, uh, to visit. It, it seems like, yeah, they would be able to at least get customers for just for the novelty. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. That's, that's why I went, uh, just for the novelty. So. so sort of prefacing that, you know, there, it is difficult unless you're eating coffee ramen, you know, to have bad ramen. What is that difference, though, between a good bowl of ramen versus a great bowl of ramen? I think... You know, going back to maybe the ingredients, uh, I think now that ramen shops are really like they've they've elevated ramen where they're using really good ingredients, where it's like quality soy sauce, um, you know, chicken bones, vegetables. I think you can taste that. Not that I have like the most amazing palate, and I'm like, oh wow, these uh, chickens are from this part of Japan. You know, I'm not saying I have that ability. However, you know, it just it just tastes fresher. Maybe you can tell that they've spent more time on it as opposed to like, you know, maybe a ramen that's uh, half the price of that, that kind of comes out in five minutes. You know, that, that has a place too, right? It, it's set at that price for a reason. Um, so maybe just the, the taste itself. And I think the way everything kind of comes together harmoniously. Um, I always talk about harmony uh, when I'm doing the tours too, but uh, broth, noodles and toppings harmoniously come together. So do the noodles match the broth? Uh, do the toppings make sense? How those kind of three layers work together to create a, a good bowl of ramen. And if maybe something's off, it, it's good, but it's not great. Mm. Interesting. And, and you were mentioning, you know, the place in Ogikubo, the place in Eifukucho. And I, I, I'm going to push you a little bit here. If you could name like two more places, especially for the Tokyo natives, um, where would they be? And, you know, I'll include it in the doobly-doo and the YouTube. No, absolutely. Um, would you like to stick with uh, soy sauce ramen? Or should we get into like another category? Let, let's maybe get, yeah, let's get at... adventurous. Let, let's get, uh, let's get a little porky. Sure, sure. So maybe like tonkotsu uh, ramen or, yeah, for tonkotsu, let's see. Um, tonkotsu, I think a lot of, uh, people will put this on their list, uh, Tanaka Shoten, which is um, probably one of the most famous, if not the most famous uh, Tokyo tonkotsu ramen shops. And they have, uh, their honten is actually way up in also Adachiku mm -hmm. and uh, what's it, Rokucho Station. And they wow. are probably, yeah, quite north. It's, uh, it's very far um, from central Tokyo. But a lot of people like making the trek. They have another branch, um, where is it, Odaiba in the shopping mall. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so you, can, you don't have to go as far. But if you want to go to, you know, the Honten, the sacred ground, uh, all of that, uh, Rokucho would be the place. And, you know, they, they actually have like um, a very authentic, let's say, like Hakata slash Nagahama style tonkotsu ramen, which is where kind of um, 
tonkotsu ramen originated, technically in kurume, but the Hakata Nagahama style is uh, most uh, popular and most common. That's kind of how Ippudo got its start, Ichiran, you know, similar, but maybe a little bit more modern. Anyways, uh, this place, like, it's an intensely flavored uh, pork bone ramen shop. They use uh, mostly the pig's uh, head uh, with some other ingredients, and that creates like a gamey kind of intensity. Uh, so very heavy hitting, but that place is uh, often in the top five, if not at the very top of uh, people's list. Tanaka Shoten. Tanaka Shoten. Interesting. And where would be, uh, so we've, we've gone soy sauce, pork. Yes. What would be, um, should we go miso? Or is miso not yeah. so common in Tokyo? Um, you, it's not as common, but um, miso, uh, you, you do have some great shops. And I more recently, well, this year, had a great bowl of miso ramen at a place called Santora. Hmm. And um, they are, where is it? They're north of uh, Waseda, I think still in Shinjuku. And they uh, basically, Sumire is a famous uh, Sapporo miso ramen shop. And mm. people that work there have gone on to open up their own ramen restaurants, whether in Sapporo or even in Tokyo. Santora is from an ex staff from Sumire. He set up shop here, and they have excellent Sumire style miso ramen, but maybe even a little bit more refined. It's a really, really good bowl. And some people would uh, put that at the top of the Tokyo miso ramen uh, list, Santora. Really, really good miso ramen. That's incredible. You know, the whole background of, you know, coming straight from Hokkaido, huh? So no, ne no necessity to, to take that flight up north. I can just get it right yeah. into it. <laughs> no, you, uh, that's the great thing about Tokyo. I think for people, um, you know, wanting to pay homage to maybe those styles. I'm thinking about doing a Sapporo trip, I think, in uh, December. Um, so th there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, ramen to have up there. Definitely more miso than here. But as you said, like in Tokyo, you've got all these regional styles within Tokyo too, just because Tokyo is so massive. That's mm. where people can be successful with their ramen shop. We're very, very spoiled in Tokyo. You've got <laughs> all the ramen styles, all the evolution, the new styles coming out all here. Interesting. So yeah, I'll definitely include those in, in the little doobly-doo. And um, earlier we talked about wrestling. Your brother also does a little bit of wrestling. I guess that'd be a bit of an understatement. Um, but yeah, he's a professional MMA fighter. And um, I, a question I had for you was, when you watch Mark compete professionally, uh, I guess it's a two-part. One is, have you ever been sort of like, um, I'm not sure what the English word is, but in like secondo, where like, you know, you're in, in the back. And secondly, like, are you excited to see him doing it? Or are you kind of like, like, I don't want to watch because, you know, it's, it's scary, I imagine, to, to see a family member in the, in the ring, you know, at such a high level to the professional level. I, um, I have been a secondo in um, uh, cornerman, um, I guess would be the, um, the English equivalent. And I have been um, that uh, for some of his fights, especially like his earlier fights. And yeah, it's, uh, it's terrifying, I think, <laughs> you know, when it's your own flesh and blood, your brother. I would say like 80% scared, 20% excited, maybe something like that. And, um, you know, it, it's just so nerve wracking, right? But he, he handles it like a pro. I don't think I could do what he does without um, passing out before I get into the, uh, the cage or the ring. But um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, it's ironic that I eat ramen 
and uh, you know <laughs> he does MMA could couldn't be more <laughs> couldn't be more different. I think, of course, Mark likes his food too, ramen included. But um, yeah, I think uh, you know as a family member, you definitely want to be there. Uh, in this case, for uh, your brother, my brother, and it was a lot of uh, fun to watch him kind of um, you know, progress through his uh, his career and uh, even be there in the corner, even though if I was sweating bullets uh, the entire time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it must be a scary experience being there. And when you guys were growing up, so you you, you said you were four years apart. Mm. Um, so I guess you guys were never on the same high school team. But what, was it sort of established from a young age that he was going to go that route? Or was it kind of like a surprise in your family that although you both did the wrestling route that he decided to stick with it like beyond high school? Right, right. Um, Yeah, unfortunately, we never had the chance to compete on the same team. You know, when I was a senior, he was uh, eighth grade uh, middle school. So I didn't didn't get a chance to do that together. But I think, you know, I I was I was a good wrestler. um, But Mark was like, you know, another level, I think, Um, you know, he. He, he only lost one match, I think, um, you know, from freshman year to uh, senior year. And, mm-hmm. you know, he avenged that loss. And uh, I think there were two years where, unfortunately, he was not able to participate in uh, the Far East tournament because I think those, that year, uh, the Dodd schools, they said only, it's only going to be for Dodd schools. So the international schools weren't invited, right? I think a couple years later, it went back to the you know, original format, right? International schools yeah. and Dodd schools. But if you put those two years aside, I mean, he would have been like a four-time Far East champion. He was because he still won, uh, you know, the Kanto uh, leagues. Uh, so he was only, <clears throat> only a uh, two-time Far East champion. So I, I guess, you know, with that in mind, like everyone had an idea that like, okay, Mark is like uh, really, really good. Uh, you know, he's got the eye of the tiger, whatever you want to call it. So beyond what I was able to, uh, I think, accomplish and what I wanted to accomplish, like Mark just took it to another level. So yeah, may- maybe that wasn't apparent, I think, when he was in eighth grade, but, you know, maybe freshman, sophomore year, it's kind of like, okay, wow, uh, this kid can really wrestle. He works hard. And then eventually, I think senior year, it's kind of like, wow, like maybe, you know, he could uh, yeah. transition. <laughs> then he started to train MMA and then uh, that's how it all started. Wow. I, I mentioned it earlier. I, I feel like I had to preface it that I wasn't being insulting to the ramen connoisseurs, but instant ramen. I need to show off my shirt again. A little, there we go. <laughs> um, it's a great shirt. So what, what is the deal with, with, with in, instant ramen culture in Japan, right? It's just, I think anyone who's ever visited knows that it's just it's a massive thing, right? From when we were young, you know, people consume instant ramen. And secondly, um, kind of like how, you know, you have your ramen business and your ramen blog, and you mentioned the people that eat eight, 800 bowls of ramen. Is there a whole nother territory of people that just specialize on in instant ramen? Yes, um, I think, you know, that, that's a whole other world, right? Um, you know, something that I haven't dived into as much. But I think this year with the pandemic, you have seen instant, instant ramen consumption go up a lot, right? And this is probably not just Japan, I think around the world. Myself, um, I've tried a lot of instant ramen this year, especially, uh, you know, during the peak of uh, the, uh, you know, Jishku, the uh, emergency uh, declaration here in, uh, here in Japan. So... 
I, I think, you know, instant ramen definitely has a place and there are people that may be like, I'm more about the, the ramen ramen, but I think there are people that are like, no, I'm all about instant ramen. Um, you know, that's where their passion is. But it's interesting, like how the, of course, because they're both ramen, the, the two worlds are definitely connected. And you see so many like uh, famous ramen shops, you know, come out, come up with their own uh, instant ramen that they sell, mm-hmm. whether it's at 7-Eleven, a supermarket. And having had more instant ramen this year myself, I've been like pleasantly surprised how uh, good it is. Um, of course, nothing beats the real thing, but these, you know, instant ramen shaped like actual ramen bowls, how far it's come where the noodles are not flash fried. You have the soup packets, right? They tell you to put it on top of the, the lid just to heat it up after you boiled the hot water. Like there are all these things that did not exist, you know, even five years ago or so. You've got Michelin ramen shops, uh, one-star Michelin ramen shops with their own instant ramen. So the way those two are tied, and if you can't travel to Japan, if you, you know, are, are uh, you know, worried about going out as much to ramen shops, uh, you know, instant ramen definitely has an important place. That's really interesting. Michelin star restaurants with instant ramen. Yes. So would you say um, you were saying you're pleasantly surprised um, when it comes to instant, there's that big range, right? What about for the more sort of common, you know, cheaper ones? Did, did you grow up like eating just like, you know, kapuramen, the classic, you know, kapuramen or like, uh, what do they call that? Yakisoba? I know it's not ramen, but. Uh, Oh, they have like the Ipechan and um, yeah, like Ipechan, yeah, <laughs> UFO. No, those those are all great, as I'm sure you did too. I mean, you know, there's nostalgia with that, right? Um, you know, my mom used to make sapporo ichiban a lot, uh, shio miso shoyu. I think shio was my favorite, and you know, adding fresh vegetables. So you know, as soon as I taste that, it just brings you back to childhood, right? You talked about that ramen shop. Uh, you know, near school, right? When you when you were there, maybe in a high school, right? Just you could you're, you're nearby there, and you smell it, and you're like, wow! Like it just brings you back. I think the way you know food can just bring a flood of memories for us. So, I think you know when we're young, right? We weren't going to ramen shops at the age of five, you know, maybe even uh, eight, right? Uh, you know, our first uh, introduction to ramen or you know any food was at home, right? So instant ramen in that sense, like I think, has a very big uh, emotional place uh, for me. And, uh, you know, I imagine uh, for you too, Sapporo Ichiban had a lot of that. Also the, yeah, cup noodles, um, cup noodle here in Japan without the S, right? Um, yeah, all of, all of those definitely uh, were, were uh, consumed a lot. So uh, this brings us to the end of the 47th episode. And at the end, I like to ask the guest, uh, what's to come? Um, so, you know, what's up in the next few years, next few decades? Um, if you could update us, that would be great, Frank. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Japan travel will bounce back, of course. It's just a question of when with uh, this current hiccup. And, you know, when that happens, I think, um, you know, full on with the ramen tours, maybe even scaling, but I'll continue eating ramen. And uh, despite this situation, I've, I've learned even that much more about ramen just because of this additional time on my hands. And, you know, I'm, I'm pivoting, I think, to some other things, but the overall theme is that ramen will be at the center of uh, everything I do. Um, it, it's great that I can eat ramen for a living. So, yeah, please feel free to uh, check out 5am ramen or even tokyoramentours.com. 
and uh, yeah, I think you know maybe beyond uh, some of the ramen that uh, you're familiar with, and this is you know for for everyone. Uh, if you have a chance, try some other ramen. There's so much ramen out there um, beyond what you've maybe um, experienced up to now. There are just so many varieties. So if you have a chance to come to Tokyo as a visitor, or even if you grew up here, try some other ramen. Um, you might have end up having a new favorite. Awesome. Yeah, that, that's a great point of advice. I will myself try to go beyond my pork. And as you've mentioned, um, it's just not as healthy either. So <laughs> it's okay. Time. You can still squeeze in uh, two every week. Uh, you'll just replace the other <laughs> the other bowls with uh, some of the more healthy ones. And yeah, we'll definitely include um, all these places you mentioned in, in the YouTube links. And yeah, it was great having you, Frank. And uh, hopefully, when this COVID deal is gone, which I hope is soon, I keep saying this yes. every episode. That's the forty seven. <laughs> But it is getting closer. Um, I, I definitely, um, I'll, I'll definitely uh, like to be on one of those tours next no, year. No, will be great to have you. Um, come hungry too when that uh, when that day arrives. Awesome. Well, thank you again, and see you around. Bye. Thank you.